Welcome to Salam Nerds Podcast. We do reviews and recaps of nerd culture, reality TV, and current events from this week. Yo, 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 it's the Salam Nerds. My name is Lee, a.k.a. Watson and I'm here with my boy, Jess. We drop live episodes on YouTube on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. All episodes can also be found everywhere podcasts are found. Thank you to all our supporters. Please help us by subscribing and leaving a good review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yo, 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 salam, nerds. It's your boy, Neebs, a.k.a. Watch with Neebs, and I'm here with my co-host, Jazz, a.k.a. DJ Petty. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're DJ Petty today, man. I'm DJ Petty. I am the Petty one. Uh, I am definitely super Petty. Uh, guys, we have a special show for you today. Um, so a little bit of the backstory. I, for months, was booked to do this thing for a certain company. Um, and it was about a certain movie that came out a week ago. And then all of a sudden I kind of got ghosted and they did not, they did not call me for this event, even though I was completely booked, they started ghosting me. And when I try to figure out what happened, it looks like my post on social media made them nervous. Um, and that understand I've never posted anything anti-Semitic. In fact, my friend, uh, Danielle and Sarah, uh, not the Sarah that's going to be on our show, but another one who, uh, is a mutual of mine on TikTok. They are Jewish and Israeli, and they always monitor my stuff, and they'll always let me know if I'm out of line. So I definitely know that that's not what happened. It just made them nervous. And I don't know why asking for a ceasefire is making people nervous. Kind of weird. But you know what? They decided to to pull me off the project. <laughs> and you know me. I am petty. So it's kind of like the scene in The Office where like um, Pam tells Michael not to date her mother. And he goes, I'm going to date her even harder. <laughs> and so that's me right now. So I'm like, you know what? You don't want me to talk about Palestine? I'm going to oh, talk yeah. about it even harder. So I sent out some feelers and I was like, listen, if anybody knows anybody who's Palestinian and, and wants to come on our show and talk about this, uh, we will happily have them on our show. We will give them a voice. And our show is normally not about heavy subjects. We're mostly light. You know, we talk about reality TV. We talk about Star Wars and or all of this like fun stuff. Um, but that made me realize that we have a very interesting opportunity here. You know, a lot of people are posting stuff on their Facebook and, and their Twitter and their Instagram. And they're all, you know, private accounts because, you know, they're, 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 they're afraid. And it's basically people who sh already share the same, you know, opinions as them. And we have this unique opportunity where a major portion of our fan base is not Muslim. And it's really interesting that we have a show called Salam Nerds and majority, like I think like 70% of our audience isn't Muslim. And I think like 60% of them are middle-aged white women who come to hear us talk about reality TV. Um, I would love it if you guys could listen to this one episode and keep an open mind and keep an open heart and try to understand another perspective, another point of view. And hopefully you guys can understand what's going on because I truly believe that understanding something leads to empathy, empathy leads to love, love leads to peace. And that's what Salam means. Salam means peace. So that's my spiel. That's my little uh, <laughs> soapbox. But 
let me introduce you guys to some of our guests. So starting first is somebody you have already known, uh, our boy Adom. Welcome back, Adom. How are you? What's going on, guys? Doing well. Glad to get into this. And I'm very glad you have two people of Palestinian descent with Palestine in their blood to come talk about this. I think a lot of this conversation has been around what Palestinians want to need, but we haven't heard from Palestinians genuinely. So I'm glad that, you know, they're here to speak their truth and to hear from them. So I think that's very important. Thank you for the platform to do this. I think it's awesome that you guys have built this audience with all the TV shows and stuff and you're using it for this. So thank you. Couldn't, couldn't be happier to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate that. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about, uh, you know, what, some of your background is and how that might be insightful uh, to this conversation. Yes. So a little background on me. I attended Syracuse University uh, College of Law, graduated in 2012, and um, I've always been interested in this topic. I actually, um, in college, I dated a Palestinian girl full-blooded for about two and a half years, so I got a very interesting education into all this. Also, as a poli-sci major at the University of Michigan, um, and in Dearborn, Michigan has the highest population of folks from the Middle East, so um, spent a lot of time with that. Love the food, love the people, so, you know, had an auction with that. But when I was in law school, I actually wrote a paper for my atrocity law class. My professor was Professor David Crane. He was the, um, the special prosecutor for the uh, Sierra Leone Tribunal, so he put away Charles Taylor. And I, for his class, I wrote a paper directly comparing apartheid in South Africa to Israel. And this was back in 2011 I wrote this paper. Um, I had the opportunity to go study abroad in South Africa also. So always been fascinated by this. And from 2015 until last week, I was working at the U.S. Department of State. I'm a recovering lawyer, going to start a new job soon, but i um, happy to talk about this and just get into more of the, the legal aspect, and especially on the elements and the, the definitions for genocide and apartheid. So that's kind of my bent to this. And also, more importantly, since this is Salam Nerds, how there are quite a bit of you know pop culture, um, I, say, I would say, analogies to what's been happening and how folks can easily support things like Luke Skywalker's parents getting totally dusted by stormtroopers and him joining up with the Rebel Alliance. But for some reason, they can't understand why the same things happen in reality with what's happening in Palestine and Gaza. So really excited to get into some of this and more importantly, hear from Sarah and Shadi on what they think. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for that, man. I, I had no idea my boy. Wicked smart. <laughs> That's my goodwill hunting quote of the day. <laughs> you, know, you better ask somebody. That's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, next, I want to introduce you guys to Shadi. Shadi, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. So, um, as Adon mentioned, uh, you know, I'm Palestinian uh, descent, Palestinian American. Um, you know what? What I would say qualifies me to talk about this, right, is I have a political science degree as well, too. But while I was in college, you know, I was president of a student group called Students for Justice in Palestine, right, which there are many chapters almost on every college campus in this country. And their you know, mission is to spread awareness about what's going on in Palestine, right, and how this relates to uh you know, the, the everyday American. And so I like to pride myself on being able to relate this issue to anyone, right? I think that's one of the beauties of this, uh, you know, horrible tragedy that's been going on for 75 years that is, you know, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is that it can relate to anyone. I don't care if you don't have any family over there, if you know nothing about it, it can relate to you in so many different ways and so many different things. And I think looking at it from a, a pop culture lens 
is very important as well too so you know folks who might be watching this right now you know maybe thinking like oh i thought we were going to talk about the new marvel marvel movie i thought we were going to talk about you know invincible season two i thought we were going to talk about whatever but you will be fascinated how this relates so much to you if you care about um you know pop culture tv movies and how in general just arabs have been depicted as you know the bad guys or subhuman or less than human um in basically the last couple hundred years. I mean, we can go back and talk about it for a long time. So super excited to be on here and just thank you. Um, thank you again for having us. Wow, I, I totally forgot about Invincible. Such a great point that you brought up. But yes, we're, we're so excited to have you on, man. That That is phenomenal. Uh, last but not least, uh, Sarah. Sarah, welcome to our show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Um, not much to say. I think also what qualifies me to talk about this is I have I have an econ degree and also a I have my master's in international journalism and public affairs. So I'm really trying to get in that realm. And the reason that I really wanted to get into that realm is so that I could kind of talk about Israel and Palestine because I really don't see it talked about that much in the news. Even right now, I really am not seeing it talked about nearly as much. I really feel like the second that the tides were kind of turned and um, Gaza started being absolutely obliterated. And I say that, but I also want to say Gaza has always kind of been obliterated this is not an anomaly of a time it is particularly bad right now but it's always been a war zone kind of a target by the idf but i really don't haven't seen that talked about nearly as much the second that they started targeting their bombs at gaza the mainstream media cycle kind of went through talking about Trump again or talking about mm -hmm. Congress again. Um, and I really want to be someone. It, it's a little tricky because, as you said, opportunities really don't open up for you nearly as much when you do talk about Palestine. But it's, you know, it's my home. It's my people. So obviously I want to talk about it. And there are, there are different schools of thought on it. My my cousin is a journalist and he says he's really happy that he kind of has a seat at the table right now. And he mm -hmm. got that seat at the table by being more neutral, but also, and so he's, he's able to kind of, as an editor, I'm not going to say, you know, his name or anything, cause I want to respect his privacy, but he's, um, He's an editor at a news organization, and so he can kind of, you know, if someone writes an article and he's kind of looking over it, he can kind of add in things to kind of, if it's looking a little too neutral or not really showing the Palestinian side, he gets to add in things. And he got to that point by being more neutral so that he got more opportunities. So I'm, I'm very happy for him that he got that. However, I'm in this position right now where... If I wait too long by being neutral, there's not going to be any Palestine left. You know what I mean? Wow. So it's it's a tricky spot to be in, but I'm very happy to be here and to talk about 
talk about my my homeland. Um, Shadi and I um, are both Palestinian. I'm from Ramallah, and Shadi will speak to where he's from as well. Ramallah's in the West Bank. I also also want to. I know I said this before we were even recording, but if my cat comes in and just tries to like peek, just ignore him. He he's a he's I an would, attention. Player. I would like. I would like to know the cat's thoughts on this. He is Muslim, right? <laughs> All cats are Muslim. Is is the is the meme that that we have going in in the Muslim society <laughs> in in our circles. We always say that. <laughs> but uh, yes, thank you so much. That was got, that was great. Collar that it's a Palestinian flag collar. So oh, that's cute. Yeah, he's sleeping right now after he was literally zooming five seconds ago. So I'm not going to disturb him, but I'm sure it'll pop up later. So you'll see. <laughs> All right, we'll Venmo you some money so you can buy him some watermelon because that cat deserves it. <laughs> we, we we love to see cat. Uh, we love cats here. Um, thank you so much for for that. Um, it was really good. I'm really glad you brought up uh, editing and stuff like that because uh, one of my friends, Aisha, she she writes uh, a lot of articles and she's had editors change her stuff around, uh, which is really interesting because they'll add like mentions of Hamas in there and mentions of it. And she's like, my article never had any of that. And they'll throw in this. So yes, that is a great point. That is uh, something that's really happening here. Um, something I did want to, you know, before we start kind of just lay out there, every time you talk about anything related to Palestine, you get called out for either being uh, anti-Semitic or supporting Hamas, right? So like, I want to get that off the table i want to get out here we have no intention of doing anything anti-semitic in this episode um i have great friends who always you know check my stuff and make sure that i never lean anywhere towards that um so it's really interesting because if you type in islamophobia on google you just get a bunch of random articles about it but if you type in anti-semitism it'll take you to american government's website and it will tell you everything that is considered uh, anti-semitic or not and i thought that was really interesting uh but yes here are all the things that are considered anti-semitic and things and we're definitely not competing so calling or aiding for the justification justification of killing or harming jews absolutely not obviously uh, making demonetizing stereotypes and allegations uh accusing jews of being uh responsible uh for wrongdoings uh for all uh where is it accusing jews as a people of being responsible for real or unimagined wrongdoings committed by a single Jewish person, right? Kind of like the things that happen to us when, when uh, one Muslim person does something and we got to condemn them. Um, denying the fact and scope and mechanics of the Holocaust, uh, accusing Jews as a people or Israel as a state of uh, inventing the Holocaust, uh, accusing Jewish citizens of being more loyal to Israel than, uh, you know, to their own nation. Denying Jewish people the right to claim self-determination applying a double standard uh and then this one using symbols and images associated with anti-semitism uh such as jews killing jesus uh and then holding jews collectively responsible for actions for the state of israel uh wow collective punishment is not uh, a, a good thing to do huh interesting interesting you have that on here um and this one i, I feel is pretty interesting drawing conclusions of contemporary Israeli policies. Every single thing we've read before said Jewish, 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 Jewish. This is the only one that says Israeli. Drawing comparison of Israeli policies to that of the Nazis. Um, that's interesting, the fact that you can't do that, even if they happen to do something like that. So I don't know. 
But that's what the government says. We're going to stay away from these things, but we're going to focus more on talking about understanding Palestine. But, you know, we definitely want to make sure that people know the tone of this thing. We're not going in here and we're not trying to go in here just to blame Jewish people. I We have so many Jewish fans. We love them. I have so many mutuals uh, that have been on the podcast that are Jewish. Um, so that's definitely not the intent. But it's really easy to watch TV shows and movies and the things that we're watching these days and realize that they're very parallel to what's happening in real life. And it's so dumbfounding to me that even the people in these shows don't get it. And I want to call out Mark Hamill, who posted, I stand with Israel with the Israeli flag, um, still hasn't taken it down, still has it up, still hasn't said anything about Palestinians. Bro, you were Luke Skywalker. You blew up the Death Star. Like, how do you not understand what's going on? How do you not know that America and Israel are the empire? Um, I think that's crazy. Adom, you mentioned this earlier. Do you wanna you wanna talk about start off on this one? Yeah, I was very disappointed when you know Mark put put that out there. But I mean, I think that, you know, as someone from a marginalized community also, I'm of African descent. I, I will add that I'm not Muslim. I was raised Christian, but you know, I kind of consider myself more of a spiritual person. And I think organized religion is the root of all problems on planet Earth, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. Um, so I think that, you know, with this, I mean, as someone from a marginalized community, you know, it's a risk factor if you're not educated on things because there's danger for you at all times. If you're not, you know, protected by white supremacy, it's going to come for you in all forms of fashion that you have to be educated on defending against it at all forms that it comes in. And so for me, when I hear people like Mark, Mark Hamill talking about this kind of stuff, it really pisses me off because it's like, you've always had the opportunity to get educated and get smart on this stuff. And from where I'm sitting, it's like you chose not to. And like for me, like in my bloodline, my bloodline is not always been able to read and write. Like I tell people all the time, like, hey, I'm a third generation reader and writer. That immediately dictates how my, my life and my family has, you know, existed on planet Earth. And access to information and understanding things in context matters a lot because, you know, people end up creating policy and everything is a policy decision. And so, you know, I think that when you have these actors and actresses playing roles where there's a complete cognitive dissonance between the character and reality, you know, it's on them to get educated on things. And it's, it's, it's really disappointing to see that, but it's, it's kind of par for the course. Yeah, no, I, I totally yeah. get that. Uh, Shadi, you want to go? Yeah, I just wanted to add, I don't know how much Star Wars. Well, just, just to add on to uh, what Adam was saying, you know, and, and, and Eves, what, what you were saying earlier about the definition of anti-Semitism, right? I mean, right now there are active efforts to redefine the definition of anti-Semitism to include, like you said, any criticism of Israeli policies. And even the one, one of them that you mentioned, right, was, um, I think it was like the third point down of any criticism of the right to Jewish determination, right? And so a lot of that is masked in saying that anti-Zionism equals anti-Semitism, right? And so for those who don't under who don't know what Zionism is, Zionism is a political movement that mm -hmm. was started in the late 1800s that basically said that the Jewish people need a homeland of their own to escape the persecution that they've uh, so, you know, just, just terribly endured for 
the entirety of their history, right? So almost every country that has had Jewish people in them has, you know, tried to remove them or kick them out or, or just tried to do terrible things to them, right? And so this idea came about in the late 1800s that, and so it's a political, movement. it is a political movement to put a Jewish state in historic Palestine, right? And and we can go into the ins and outs of Zionism and, and you know, the original plan was to go to some place in Africa or Argentina or different places, right? And so they settled on Palestine. And so... The idea that the definition of anti-Semitism may be changed or there are active efforts right now to change the definition to include any criticism of this political ideology is very dangerous because there are real instances of anti-Semitism in this country and around the world that are very dangerous. And conflating those real instances that are very dangerous to any criticism of a political uh, philosophy or political movement, I mean, it's just blurring the lines, right? And it makes it very difficult for people to have a nuanced understanding of just any criticism of Israel without conflating it to complete hatred or criticism of Jewish people. And I would also like to say there are many Jewish organizations that are anti-Zionist. You know, one of the ones I would bring up is Jewish Voices for Peace, and they are a fantastic Jewish organization right. that is an anti-Zionist organization. And if, if you haven't seen their them, you know, look them up on social media, online, wherever, just Jewish Voices for Peace. They're fantastic. But even within that, there are people who are saying, you know, well, they're not real Jewish people. Or, you know, they're a minority in, in the Jewish community, which I myself find very anti-Semitic to say that only certain Jewish people get to have their voices elevated and heard while other Jewish groups, they're not, they're not real Jews or they're self-hating Jews or they're, um, you know, they're not real Jews. And, and that's the kind of anti-Semitism we should be talking about on top of the real instances of people hating Jewish people simply for uh, existing, right? Which is wrong on all on all fronts. But conflating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism is a dangerous path that we've seen. And there are active efforts right now to change that definition that you read to include that stuff. So I just wanted to bring that up. In terms of Star Wars, I mean, yeah, I had to explain it to one of my friends, you know, like five different ways you know, uh, hey, what's going on in Palestine, Shadi? Can you break it down for me? Okay, you know, we have this, this, this. I'm not, I'm not really getting it. Can you break it down a different way? I said, okay, well, you know, I lowered it. I lowered the difficulty setting from like very hard to like easy, and still didn't get it. And then he's like, <laughs> can you break it? Can you break it down to like Star Wars metaphors? And exactly how you said, and he's like, it's the Empire versus the rebels, and you know, Palestine are the rebels, and the Empire is Israel. And there's so many ways to uh, to bring that up, and I think it's a very appropriate, um, you know, way of explaining it to people. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. Um, that was very, very insightful. I appreciate you saying that, uh, Sarah. I want to go to you next. Yeah, um, I also want to point out uh, Shadi and I have worked together once before, and he's an absolute G. One of the most just coherent speakers on this topic. I cannot praise him enough. I'm just like in awe anytime he speaks. But um, I also wanted to point out there was, um, and you know, stop me if you like know about this or whatever, but um, 
there is, I saw this video on Twitter and, you know, this might've been misinformation. You never know with Twitter or X or whatever. Um, but there was a video on Twitter of some IDF soldiers. There, there is apparently a neighborhood in Jerusalem filled with, uh, anti-Zionist Jewish people. Uh, and, you know, Orthodox uh, traditional Jewish people and the IDF soldiers apparently ransacked this neighborhood and started beating these people up. And that just broke my heart because, A, a lot of IDF soldiers are not even Jewish. So this is a most likely, like, actual, like, an, an attack of a non-Jewish person against a Jewish person. And I just don't think and, and this happened in Jerusalem like in in Israel and I really think that is I don't know we need to we need to talk about the actual kind of anti-semitism that is actually happening in Israel um because you know Shadi I think put it a lot more cogently than I did but Jewish people are our allies and they are, you know, what we want is peace at the end of the day. We like, we want to be able to live together in historic Palestine peacefully and cohesively. And I do believe in my lifetime that that is possible, but I think people like to uh, the mainstream media and just people in general like to pit us against each other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you talking about uh, you and Shadi both brought up about the uh, anti-Semitism uh, against Jewish people by Jewish people, because that's actually one of the reasons two of my friends uh, refused to come on. They didn't know um, how people would react to them. Right. So I asked them and they were like, "Nah, I don't know. It's really it's, it's really tough out here for us right now. So I, I do I, I do feel for them, uh, especially with the ones that are here supporting them. And I think it's so brave to the ones that are out there. Every protest I've been to, I've seen them out there. It's it's amazing. So we'd love to see uh, that camaraderie and just people being basic human beings and not wanting to see people be be killed because the death toll is almost at 11,000 right now it's it's crazy that is wild and extremely disproportionate to to what happened um and it's just one of those things where like <laughs> like reality and fiction kind of mer merges together because it does feel like we're in the hunger games right now and that's another uh piece of media that uh, I think uh, one of the movies that's just coming out, the the Ballad of Songs and Snakes, I believe is called. And one of my friends got to watch it early, and she's like, she cried the whole time. She said, "It's it's really, really, I don't know, uh, like the fact that we are living in a time where something like we saw on television in a movie could be real, where like some people could be living in this apartheid state where they have it so good, and then the other people have so little, uh, and you get to really see that." And then, you know, I think even in Hunger Games, they literally bomb a hospital. It's crazy. It's eerily similar to what's happening out there. And it's one of the things where, like, these types of media make me happy because I feel like, you know, 
at one point it's sad that people can watch these shows and enjoy it and love it when a white person is the antagonist and they're oppressed and they're fighting their oppressors but they can't fathom this when it's a brown person but then on the other hand look how many young people are out here in the streets talking about this stuff and they don't give a fuck like gen z does not give a fuck and i'm just like watching them and i'm like so proud and then i'm like of course they don't give a fuck they grew up on avatar the last airbender and hunger games like of course they've seen this they've read this they've studied it in school like they're not like us i'm a millennial we went through 9 11 with our head downs and hoping nobody would freaking talk to us or do anything to us and throw bottles at us and spit at us right like these are things that have happened to me and i just learned to just keep my head down and just ignore it and these kids are there fighting with their teachers and i'm just like Bro, I love Gen Z. They're, they are so badass. And it's because they grew up on all these types of fiction. And they're smart enough to put it together. I don't know if any, any of you guys have thoughts about that. Yeah, I'll just... I'll, Sarah, I'll, I'll, you know. So, yeah, oh, go sorry, ahead, No, I was just going to say really quick. I mean, just, just to add what you're saying about Gen Z and the future, you know, generations coming up here. I mean, po recent polling has shown that, you know, support for Israel among the younger generations is down substantially. And any polling that you've seen shows that older generations are going to support Israel more, but the younger generations more. I think it was, the last poll I saw was like 66% of people polled. And of course there's bias with any polling. You know, you always have to take any polling with a grain of salt, but the you know, polling has shown that support among Israel or some support towards Israel and what they're doing to the Palestinians has gone down amongst um, the younger generations. So I think with the rise of social media, with the rise of the internet, um, you know, people are seeing firsthand what is happening in the Palestinian people, and it's not coming to them from CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whoever. You know, back in the day, like you know, I'm a millennial as well too, and you know, it was always. You know, you got to go to Al Jazeera if you want to get the real stuff that's going on, right? You got to go to Al Jazeera English or, or or go to these like you know far out websites that most people don't know about. Um, and not saying that people don't know about Al Jazeera, right? But but then it's like you bring up Al Jazeera and they say, oh well, you know, it's it's sponsored by the Qatari government or it's like a Qatari based organization, so automatically you can't really like trust them. So my main point is that you know with the advent and the rise of the internet. Um, and how often we're seeing it used to just digest and receive information. I think people are being able to make more of an informed decision rather than, you know, listen to Wolf Blitzer or listen to Rachel Maddow, you know, and say, what Israel is doing is they're defending themselves against these barbaric, you know, baby killing, but, you know, et cetera, et cetera, like all these false narratives. And people were just accepting it for the longest time. Like I had a woman on social media the other day um you know i was at a protest and somebody took a picture of the group and put it and then someone said you know some bad things about it and i said hey i was at this protest i would love to like answer any misconceptions that you have you know please feel free to message me or anything like that you know what qualifies you to talk about this you're just some kid you don't know what you're talking about she's an elderly woman and i basically just said hey like my parents are from Palestine. My grandparents are from Palestine. She's like, there's no, uh, let me stop you there. There's no such thing as Palestine. And I was like, I, this is where I just became a little petty and sarcastic. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Pack it in boys. Uh, you know, X. So I'm not going to name her name, but you know, she said that Palestine doesn't, doesn't exist. I was wrong the whole time. I gotta, I gotta call my grandparents and tell them they were wrong this whole time. 
And I said that, you know, like, I got to tell my grandparents they were wrong this whole time. And she's like, yes, go ahead and tell them. And it's just like she had no regard for my background, my experiences, my generations and generations of experiences. Like, you know, I saw this thing the other day about um, 23andMe data and Ancestry.com data. It's right. Like Palestinian Christians, uh, which, which I am and Sarah is as well, like our genetics are 0.00. 5% different than like Canaanite DNA, like people who have been, were, were there thousands of mm -hmm. years ago. So this notion that Palestinians don't exist, which is a perpetuated Zionist, you know, talking point, there's no such thing as Palestine never existed. These people were never here. It's, it's, it's just like, even the genetics don't line up with what they're saying against that. So anyway, yeah. I, I got a little bit off topic there, but, um, if I yeah, can add is. one one yeah. thing to that, Shadi, from just, you know, I it really pisses me off when people say Palestine doesn't exist, a little history about this. So in 1917, there was something called the Balfour Declaration, and the British government, they mm -hmm. literally wrote, yeah. and I'm going to read this, they wrote, the, establish, the establishment in Palestine of a national Jewish home, or a national home for the Jewish people. Now, if someone's going to say Palestine doesn't exist, why the hell is imperialist, colonialist uh, British, you know, the UK... Why are they talking about this over 100 years ago <laughs> if Palestine ever existed? Mm -hmm. And then in 1947, we had something called the partition where the UN decided to, you know, split up the land. So this whole thing, like, I think going back to the beginning of the question, which was about Gen Z and stuff, I think, you know, one of the good things about, you know, kind of an instant gratification culture. Oh, Shadi, I love that background, by the way. Um, one of the, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, having technology available and stuff is you can check sources instantaneously. If someone gives you BS, you can pull up something free. to refute that and check it. Yeah. Right away. That's one of the good things about social media and the internet. I think Gen Z is very good at that. And that's why they're willing to go fight with their teachers. You know, needs when you and I were back, you know, in high school, it would have been harder to refute that. Cause you have to, you know, get dial up a broadband to check, but now these kids have got supercomputers in their hands. <laughs> and they're checking the sources right away. I mean, it's, it's, it, it gives you power right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, there's so many people, like even on TikTok, I believe uh, there was a guy who the PhD uh, teacher named Liam O'Mara. And he talked about how Romans used to call them Palestinians in the second century. In this, it goes back to the second century. Uh, they have, uh, uh, what you call it, there's papers and documents about the Byzantines calling them Palestinians, the Crusaders calling them Palestinians, the Ottoman calling them Palestinians. In the 19th century, you know, uh, the, the people left memoirs and they wrote letters home to their family that are still, you know, kept and they have themselves calling them uh, Palestinian. In the 1911, there's newspapers calling them Palestinians. So the idea that, you know, is that Palestinian doesn't exist is just this talking point that they have. And it's really interesting because they all have the same talking points is Palestine doesn't exist. What about Hamas? Like, it's like a script. For them uh, a little bit and gen z's like oh you got a script yeah we got answers and and they do have answers which i it's refreshing because in my age like yeah i wouldn't have answers i would have to go to an encyclopedia or a social studies book which is full of lies and <laughs> to begin with right so uh yeah i definitely feel that um sarah did you want to say anything do you have anything to add yeah tiktok has been amazing throughout all of this because before uh, prior to TikTok, when I was trying to, you know, educate my friends in college or something, I'd be like, please watch this YouTube video. I promise it's only 10 minutes. Like, no one's going to watch. Hopefully someone no. will watch, like, a 10-minute YouTube video. But the nice thing about TikTok is I'm like, hey, watch this TikTok. It is literally a minute long. 
you can just see all of it. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, Gen Zers have been, I mean, I say I, I say that as though I'm not literally on the cusp of Gen Z <laughs> and being a millennial. <laughs> but um, the younger generation has been amazing. They have no fear. This is such an interesting, I was talking to my dad a little bit and he's just been super worried about me and just kind of all of us speaking out because he says in his words, the climate right now against Arab Americans and Palestinian Americans, he truly believes is worse than post 9-11 right now. Like oh, yeah. it's been incredibly toxic towards us uh, as I'm sure you guys know and probably have experienced as well. But Gen Z has been amazing. Really anybody who's not Palestinian, like even you needs talking about this right now when you said yourself that it has led to you potentially losing opportunities and that has, you know, created a bigger fire for you to want to talk about it more. That's badass. That's amazing. Like I talk about this because I have a connection to it, but anyone who doesn't have a connection, but is still talking about it props to you guys, because I know it is not easy. And that, that reminds me of, have you seen the meme where it's like, uh, people telling me not to talk about Palestine. And then it says me with their Palestinian blood. And it has the song with Michael Scott doing the, the speaker. I love that meme. It's so funny. It's, it's, it's not only just an, an information war, but it's a meme war. And, and we're on the right side of the memes because our memes are fire. Yeah. The memes, memes that are, are educational. Yeah. Yeah, the memes that are coming out right now are are amazing, and I think Gen Z is is really on top of it. But I really wanted to piggyback off of what what Sarah was saying, right? Because right now we're seeing on TikTok and social media that like these one minute, quick digestible videos, right? Of just like here's what's going on in Palestine, here's what Israel's doing, you know. We're seeing it also on the other end as well too. A lot of Zionist talking points are being perpetuated. And there really is like an organized um, effort around yeah. this, right? So if you were on YouTube on October 8th, October 9th, like after, you know, what happened uh, at the music festival, if you did, well, I use an ad blocker and I advocate for everyone to use an ad blocker, except if you're watching the Salam Nerds, don't turn off your ad blocker if you're watching them. <laughs> but um, if you were on YouTube at the time, you saw targeted advertisements um, and maybe even not even targeted advertisements, right? That were saying, you know, there are like, you know, support Israel, stand with Israel right now. We need your help. Even right now, I am seeing it on uh, commercials in between Sunday night football, right? So there's like these, you know, massive um, efforts, right? To garner support for Israel. And so we're seeing them beat these like support drums or, or whatever you would call them, right? And so... It's really great that there is this really grassroots movement coming from social media and what I would say is like a younger generation to spread awareness of what's going on in Palestine. But on the flip side, we're also seeing the same thing when it comes to spreading disinformation about Palestine or spreading very pro-Israel um, information that is is factually incorrect, right? And I don't think anyone's ever checked a source from a TikTok video or anything like that. But I think what it does is it starts the conversation, right? Where you're like, hey, um, you know, they're using this this new American-made bomb in Gaza that shoots out like 
blades and decap or yeah. uh, dismembers people. You know what? What is that about? And you go and you go down the rabbit hole, right? So I really would advocate to anyone who's watching uh, and listening to the podcast: check your sources, double check everything, right? I always tell people like, don't take my word for it, right? If you think I'm a biased mm -hmm. source because I'm you know Palestinian and and I have family there and all this stuff. Don't take my word for it. Do a little bit of digging. If you have questions, ask because every single talk, Zionist talking point can be easily debunked or or proven wrong. It's it's just you you could bring up a random one, and there's definitely ways to talk about it. But um, yeah, I and mean, we were talking about it earlier, right? With social media influencers influencers actually getting paid sponsorships to talk about yep. Israel. Now, that is just crazy. Like I understand, you know. Hey, review this um, this product you know that I'm selling on Amazon or this like new knife, uh, this potato peeler, right? And talk about it in your video. Make a, two YouTube shorts about it, and I'll pay you five hundred dollars. Okay, I'll just skip the video. But when you're saying, "Hey, I'm going to pay you five thousand dollars if you make a series of videos basically saying all Palestinians are terrorists, all Arabs want to destroy Western Europe," all like, and, and you're seeing it like these these accounts that have never talked about. Palestine or Israel before, yeah. All of a sudden, they've just become these scholarly, scholarly experts on it, and they just seemingly care for some reason. And maybe they do. I, I maybe I'll give them the benefit of a doubt, right? But I've seen many content creators come out and say, "Hey, I received this weird email saying that you know, I, I was I was offered a, a certain amount of money to talk about Israel. This is very weird to me." And some are taking it, and some are not taking it. it on the you know, protesting side of things or the rally side of things, right? I've seen emails flood around, hey, we'll pay you $250 and pay for your airfare if you fly out I've to Washington, D.C. to yeah, do this. There are just well-organized efforts. Um, and it's just really been, like, nice to see that grassroots efforts are really countering this, this billion dollars industry that's that's come about in support of Israel. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that they have like a billion dollar budget to put out all this information, but they're still losing to a bunch of kids with cameras in Palestine. That's that, that just shows goes to show you like how much of that disinformation is not reaching people. And the truth will always reach the people that it needs to reach. Yeah, real quick, uh, a dome sent me a map and I'm going to share that with everybody. And uh, dome, if you want to talk about it. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big map nerd and I actually found this. It's from National Geographic in 1947, and just take a look at it. You have to, you have to zoom in quite a bit, but it just it shows you, you, you know, say Palestine doesn't exist. This is National Geographic, so this is not, you know, a dome pushing this. This is Nat Geo, and look at it. I mean, it's clear as day what is there. Yep. And so all you have to do is just a, a little bit of research on your own to see where things are. And I just on a, a personal note, so, um, you know, being of African descent and living in this country, obviously there are many similarities between the apartheid system that Israel has and what Jim Crow had. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, the Israelis have learned from Jim Crow, just kind of like there's a book, um, it's called Hitler's American Model, and it's about how back during World War II, or before World War II, when the Nazis were considering how to draft things like the Nuremberg Laws, they were looking at other legal systems to copy. And I highly recommend everyone to read this book because it's kind of mind-blowing. The Nazis actually looked at Jim Crow and they were like, that's probably too extreme to copy verbatim. We're only <laughs> going to copy it a little bit. It's it's like, like like for example, like the one drop rule, they were like, that's a little bit extreme. And I was like, word? Like, okay, the Nazis think it's too extreme? <laughs> but it's, 
Okay. And so, you know, you look at those things <laughs> and, you know, to me, you know, there are similarities because you know, having studied the law and things like that, there are similarities based on those things. And, you know, I was in Ferguson in 2014 when the Michael Brown stuff was happening, and this will always stick with me. You know, there was tear gas being shot, and there were Palestinian protesters teaching black protesters how to deal with tear gas because you guys mm-hmm. are unfortunately familiar with it. That will always stick out to me because that's as real as it gets. Like the people I was with, some of them had no idea how to deal with tear gas, and the Palestinians were coming in like, hey, we know how to deal with this because of what we're having to deal with, you know, back in our homeland. And here's how you deal with it. And you put milk on your eyes and stuff like that. That was, that will always stick with me. Yeah. I think yeah, the, I'm going to say, I think the Palestinian and, and uh, the, the black uh, so, uh, civil rights movement go back way back. I mean, from the black Panthers to Malcolm X, there's a strong history there, right? Yes, very yeah. much. So. In fact, um, Malcolm X actually wrote something. I, I've, I had to look this up and find it because small notes about me. Um, my dad was a Black Panther before I was born, and my middle name is actually Malcolm. So um, mm. can, I, can I drop this into the comments? I don't know if I can. Let me see. I'll drop it in the into chat. So House a, of Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. There's a, an article that Malcolm X wrote uh, in September of 1964, and he's, it's called Zionist Logic, and it's about basically the corollaries and analogies between, you know, the Zionist agenda and how that hurts not only Arabs, but it also is a blueprint for also hurting Black people and why there's solidarity there. I thought that was really interesting because you're right it it does go back it's it's there's a lot of heavy history there because you know both of our groups of people ha- have been and continue to suffer from systems of oppression that are colonialist and that are very imperialistic and you know we were talking about you know how israel is paying people to you know promote things you know if you follow the money a lot of u.s tax dollars are pr- promoting that i mean the united states gives yeah. israel the most amount of money out of any country and a lot of that stuff goes to weapons and defense. And so, you know, we're supporting things. And one thing that really bothered me, I did some digging into this. So um, Israel has universal health care and it has free college. And so the U.S. Congress is greenlighting money to fund universal health care and free college for Israel. But we can't get it here in the States. Like that, that's that's just like WTF, man. Like, are you kidding me? So, like, you recognize that, one, it's important. Two, you'll fund it, but not, you know, not for home, but we'll do it for abroad. No, it, like, uh, loan forgiveness is too expensive. Healthcare is too expensive. But when it comes to giving money to Israel, they're always ready to cut the check. When it is for police, they're always ready to give the check. If it's militarism, they're always ready to cut the check. So it's really interesting that we can't do any of that stuff, but somehow they found $14 billion to, to give to these people for war. Um, it's, it's wild. Um, I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, do you have any uh, thoughts? Uh, I know like there's a lot to talk about, and I know you're doing all the stuff in behind the scenes, but I want to give you some time to talk to. Nah, I'm just enjoying the conversation. Just uh, I'll keep I doing know. things behind the scenes for everybody. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Like like you guys said, it's an info war at the moment, and unfortunately, sometimes the loudest people, uh, you know, they're the ones who gets their point across. And it seems like towards the older people, that's what's happening. Because when you got the president of America saying, "Hey, forty babies were beheaded," and I've seen it, and then go back and say, "Oh, I, I guess we haven't." Uh, people still believe that. I mean, I'm still getting comments about these 40 beheaded babies and it's been debunked like crazy. Like, it's not about like being right. It's about getting it out there first and then worry about it later. And that's, that's really scary. That's really scary journalism. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. 
uh, Shari and I were kind of talking a little bit about just kind of the journalistic sphere in general. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty brutal out here. <laughs> um, there's, yeah, to the commenter that said no consequences for lying, you're absolutely right. There was not. And that's not, that's not the spirit of journalism at all. Mm -hmm. It's the truth, like sourced truth. So the fact that when I was in grad school, I was kind of taught tw Twitter used to be a space, a space where not to kind of like get your information, because that is kind of misinformation one on one, but to just kind of find scoops to kind of see mm -hmm. like what people are talking about and see if you can do your own research to try to get a good story on it or get to the bottom of the story on it. And that is just completely awash right now, just being on X or being on Twitter or really being on any platform, you really never know. And that's very dangerous right now because you'll have celebrities with massive, massive following who just kind of want to jump onto, you know, the trend of kind of, trend of kind of talking about what's happening right now because they feel like everybody is and they're completely ill-informed on it or they really have no stake in this fight and they're just throwing in their two cents to their like millions and millions of followers and now those followers just think something completely different it's so dangerous and we cannot afford it right now that's one yeah. piece. The other kind of piece is it's interesting how the media is kind of framing this conflict. I'm, I feel like my, my social media feeds are kind of an echo chamber because I, if I see something that is pro-Palestine, I'm probably going to like it or favorite it. So I see right. more kind of stuff like that. But when I get a notification that a news article has come out, it really isn't saying that, or it just kind of, the only stories that I'm kind of, instead of saying, hey, 11,000 people have died, majority children, they're putting all of these kind of articles that are just pitting Palestinians and Jewish people against each other trying to make this seem like a religious fight when it really is not a religious fight at all. Like I talked to all of my Jewish friends and we completely understand each other. We're not fighting about this. We hear each other's sides and we're, we're allies in this fight and we want peace. And so to see the media only covering issues of either anti-Semitism or issues of Islamophobia. I'm really not even seeing that many issues covered of Islamophobia or anti-Palestinian content in the mainstream news media cycle. I, I just need us to focus more on the fact that 11,000 people have died and counting and a ceasefire has not been called yet. And... Yeah. I also think it's interesting, sorry, I know I'm droning on, but uh, Shadi and I kind of were talking about this a little bit before, but um, the fact that if there's a 
it, it feels like when a pro-Palestine protester messes up and does something a little extreme, it is all of us. But whenever mm -hmm. it's a Zionist protester that does something super extreme and messes up, they say it's an outlier. And I'm curious your guys' thoughts on that. I feel like that's a little bit of the proximity to whiteness because I feel like whenever that happens, like, oh, they're the mass shooter who goes out and does something. Uh, the issue is not, you know, his race. It's got to be his mental health. You know, uh, let's talk about mental health. Um, and it's, it's not too similar. Also, it has stuff to do with the way things are written, right? When you talk about Palestinians, they weren't killed. They died. Really? How did they die? You know, there's the words are important, the way they're being used. And I see that in the media all the time. And people are getting smart to it people are understanding this stuff more and more you can't use the same tricks that you've been using on us for years we understand now um and people get called out now and now they're like oh crap we can't do this anymore we're gonna get called out so i do see a lot of that happening um anyone else has thoughts on this i think you're absolutely right with that and unfortunately it's kind of the same language and passive voice that's used when like you read an article about like someone being killed by like you know someone driving a car it'll say you know pedestrian struck by vehicle or whatever instead of saying driver killed pedestrian it's the same type of language where it's just will say you know palestinians killed it won't say you know rocket shot from israel kills palestinians or whatever the, you know the active voice would be it's written in passive voice and to me that is very deliberate because that's controlling the power dynamics of the situation yeah yeah i would also add, uh yeah to what i also wanted to just piggyback what uh adam and what sarah were saying because um you know what he was saying earlier about you know the intersectionality of palestine with other movements throughout the world is just so present and visible i mean your story about being in ferguson right and you know learning from palestinians how to handle when you're tear gassed i mean we're seeing that all throughout the world right i saw this image years ago right when ferguson was happening and the police were launching tear gas at protesters someone held up the empty can of tear gas and they took a picture of the label. Someone in Palestine took a picture of the label of the tear gas that are being launched to Palestinians for protesting peacefully. Um, it was the same company that was making both the tear gas. You look at the illegal wow. separation wall. You look at the illegal separation wall, apartheid wall in Palestine right now that is, you know, all throughout Palestine. The company that is building that is the same company that is building the wall between the us mexico border so again it's, it's this weird thing where this is such a horrible horrible uh i, I don't like to use the, the word conflict but is, at this point it's a genocide this this terrible genocide mm -hmm. that's going on to the palestinians that has been going on for 75 years not just one month you know but the beauty of it is that the intersectionality with so many other struggles around the world is so prevalent right and so you all had that map from national geographic in 1947 right which is the us or sorry the united nations partition plan of what they wanted to do with palestine how they wanted to carve it up after the british decided well we can't hold on to these uh you know middle eastern arab countries so we're just going to leave you know the same thing happened in africa after they decolonized africa right they just drew these borders around uh and said, well, this is what these new countries are going to be now. You have to follow this Western idea of what it is to be a country. And so you divided up villages, cities, you know, different types of groups of people. Um, 
and you just decided, okay, this is what Lebanon is going to be. This is what Palestine is going to be. This is what Jordan is going to be. This is what Syria is going to be. This notion of having a state and having a country and having like, you know, a pre like what we understand as like the Western idea of a society, right? Or a government setup. This really didn't exist around the world until colonization was was prevalent and i don't want to get too into the weeds with colonization and decolonization theory right but the borders were put on top of all of these people right and if you were lucky enough to be you know in jordan when the jordanian borders were created that's what you were right and so that's a lot of the zionist talking points is there's no such thing as palestine in a certain sense they are correct because they were all just they they were like well this idea of this is a country that is called palestine did not exist right the identity of a, pa a palestinian identity existed but the idea that this certain area is palestinian this certain area is lebanon this certain area is jordanian right it didn't exist it was an arab identity and so that really um is something i also wanted to to you know add and then to what sarah was saying and i'll stop talking because i think jazz wanted to add something really quick um is yeah we are seeing this social media shift right now where like sarah was saying journalists would use twitter social media instagram to get the scoop right and then investigate it more go on the scene do some in, in, in journalism right but now it's hey i heard this israeli soldier said that they saw 40 beheaded babies and then that was retweeted from a Israeli journalist who is from this like far right settler um, newspaper. And that was picked up by CNN. And then CNN picked that up and said, well, we heard from this journalist who heard from this soldier that there were 40 beheaded babies. And then it made it all the way to the White House. It is a game of telephone that has horrific consequences where people start to believe this stuff. And yeah there needs to be better journalistic integrity when it comes to all of these things. And then we're seeing celebrities pick up on it too, right? Just, I really want to kind of shift the focus to more just like pop culture nerd stuff, right? Because I think your audience, you know, is, is kind of craving that stuff, but seeing like my, one of my favorite voice actresses, um, and I'll name and shame her Tara strong. She has been horrible Ugh, on this, right? I love Tara strong, no! her body of work, but she yeah. has been spouting the most terrible, you know, anti-Palestinian Zionist rhetoric, right? And she is not backing down. And the sad reality is, is she's still going to get work. She's a fantastic voice actress, uh, or voice actor, I should say. And the thing is, is that a lot of the stuff that she's sharing is very wrong and very dangerous and stoking a lot of Islamophobia and a lot of anti-Arab rhetoric in this country. But the sad truth is no punishment or no consequences will, will happen. I'm not advocating for like doxing people or canceling people or any of that stuff, right? But we're seeing a difference between when someone makes a factual uh, error when it comes to criticizing Israel, right? Or, or even just criticizes them on a factual basis, right? They're, they, they're at risk of losing their career. But when people yeah. criticize Palestinians and spout anti-Arab Islamophobic rhetoric, it's like, well, you know, you made an oopsie. You know, like there's, you know, there's so many, yeah. So I, I just want to leave it, you know, I'll, I'll stop there for now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you mentioned, uh, one of you guys mentioned before we started that they're, yeah, they're, they started changing the definition 
of words, right? They're losing the battle so bad that they have to change the meaning of these words. They have to change what free Palestine means. They have to change what, what from the river to the sea means. It's so bizarre that like they're changing what these words means to have some kind of argument. But then there is a woman who could say, hey, uh, how many people will it take until we are satisfied? And someone says, all of them. Like that's there's no sugarcoating that there's no interpretation that's just straight up genocidal language. But yet you are saying from the river to the sea is calling for a genocide when people have been using that for 10 years and no one has said that until now. Like it's bizarre. It's bizarre how that's working, um, which is uh, leads me to the fact that I made my own one up. I went to uh, the DC uh, protest and my poster went viral because it was a reference to the show One Piece and it said from the Grand Line to the sea Palestine will be free so if I don't know if any of you guys are, are uh, fans of One Piece but the Grand Line is like this part that they look for uh, and people loved it and it's another show that is just so like everyone watches it and everyone's like wait I've seen this before, uh, you know, uh, it was, it's been becoming very popular at protests. Almost every protest you can find the Jolly Roger flag or a star straw hat, uh, hat. And it's become like a, a new symbol for nerds to promote, um, you know, their love for Palestine or their support for Palestine, which I think is really, really cool because you have these pirates and people are like, Oh, these pirates are, pro they would support Israel. Like, no, they're not. They're fucking pirates. <laughs> they fight the world government and <laughs> you know they're not about rules and stuff like that and borders and stuff like that they they go from island to island and liberating people within each arc of the storylines they liberate skypea they liberate the fishman and it's funny that like you know you take this cartoon and you watch it and you're like wait this is happening in real life in fact there's a thing where it's called a buster call where basically all of the Navy comes and they destroy and bombard a, an island. And literally, that's what they're doing to Gaza. And people are like putting two and two together. And it's really beautiful that this one show is helping people, a bunch of nerds, a bunch of people who are into anime, uh, learn this. And I got so many people who want to take a picture with me. And, and you know, I think one of the pictures went viral. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, Jazz, I know I know you're a big fan and you're the one that got me into One Piece. So this is that's like on you, man. That's uh, kudos to you. I'd take full credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you ever see that flag that Jazz has in the background, that's what it's from. It's from the show One Piece. Got it. This way. <laughs> yeah, if they ever exactly. come after the watermelon slogan, we can just use the flag instead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would love to get into One Piece, but I don't have like a year of my life to dedicate at this yeah. point. To into it. Oh, no, you can't. They just came out with the live action one on Netflix and it's only six uh, episodes long. They can okay, good. Is the live okay. action one good? I've heard mixed things. It's actually good. It's actually pretty okay. good. It holds up pretty close to the end. It holds up. So. Okay. It holds up. That's, that's, um, that, that, that's rare for it to hold up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I it don't is know. I have, faith um, in, I have faith in TV. I think they've been getting better at this whole adaptation thing. Well, you mentioned Avatar yeah, The Last Airbender. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. And the parallels there. Let's go. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? We're the Fire Nation. Let's go. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Neves, take it away. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to talk. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Avatar Wait, The Last sorry. Airbender is another one. 
where basically you got this hero who basically survives a genocide, right? Uh, the Air Nation is completely wiped out. So you're teaching kids about gen genocide on this show. Then you have this imperialistic nation called the Fire Nation that's going around, is colonizing people, is uh, doing all these terrible things. And you have this person who is part of the Fire Nation. He is the prince of the Fire Nation. And you see this character have one of the most unbelievable arc where he goes from somebody who comes from this Fire Nation who is basically doing all these terrible things to people who basically committed genocide, who have committed ethnic cleansing. Um, and then they basically, he go through this whole entire arc where he ends up with the heroes of the show and fights against his own dad and his own people. And it's such a beautiful story. And then there's also like other segments into it where they go to uh, the uh, Bossing Say, and there's this whole arc about how like they use like media and stuff to convince people something isn't happening. And it's kind of like there's no war in Israel. There's no, like there's yeah, no war there's in Bossing Say. No war in Bossing <laughs> And dur during the pandemic, it was so no coronavirus in Boston. Say they were some memes about exactly. That too. <laughs> yeah, Avatar: The Last Airbender is probably one of the best uh, children's show, and the fact that it deals with such deep themes, it really doesn't like pull its punches when it comes to its audience. You know, it doesn't dumb it down for their audience. It, it respects their audience to the fact that hey, we're gonna tell this really complex story, and you're gonna understand it. And people did. And I, I, I love Avatar The Last Airbender. It's one of my favorite shows, but it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's uh, one of, it's one of my favorite Sorry, go yeah, ahead. This comment is, I was going to read this comment. Dr. Robotnik used to call Sonic the Hedgehog a terrorist. <laughs> okay, well, that's also another one. I've never seen that, but yes. Um, yeah, d does anybody else have anything to say about Avatar The Last Airbender? Because that was definitely uh, a good one. I could definitely talk about Avatar The Last Airbender forever. It's one of my favorite shows. But um, the points, when you mentioned it um, earlier in the show, I was definitely thinking, okay, Air Nation wiped out. Absolutely. Bossing Say is kind of this Fire Nation colonial state. Totally. I did not even make the connection of Zuko and his kind of arc throughout the show of just kind of getting over the kind of brainwashing that yes. he got from childhood onward. And it's such a beautiful arc, but also like what a powerful story of just kind of overcoming because it 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 is difficult. Like we are very lucky that we you know, like Shadi and I as Palestinians, I'm sure you guys as well, we were kind of born into this kind of knowing these are our people, this is our fight. For people to learn that kind of either as anti-Zionist Jewish people or as just people in the world is very commendable and important, I think. I think Zuko's arc is something that everyone can really learn from. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much about Avatar: The Last Airbender, so I, I I'm not going to try and hijack the oh. conversation and change. I know, I know. I'm. Eh, I, it is what it is. I'll get to it when I get Chatty, to it. Howdy, you but, were doing so well. You were doing so. I well. know. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm a faux. I'm a faux nerd. Like I know. Like the. It's kind of like. Have you seen the movie The Other Guys with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell? Yes. And 
he uh mark Wahlberg's character starts doing like um ballet and he's like yeah i learned ballet so i could make fun of those other losers i'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because i don't want to say any like derogatory <laughs> derogatory terms but he's like yeah i learned ballet so i could make fun of those other losers who were doing ballet and so he's like this master of like ballet. so like i know a lot of like these nerd adjacent topics right not to make fun of nerds or anything, but just to like be in the loop of the conversation. I wanted to bring up the Matrix, to be honest, because I think what Sarah was saying about Ooh, yes, people, the you know, people just like so just blindly supporting Israel, right? Whether it you are a Jewish person or whether you are just someone who just supports them blindly for you know the media that you've digested your whole life, right? Like it's like being in the Matrix, and and really, there's so it's Empire, Matrix, Avatar, whatever. There's so many ways to like phrase it to people and explain it to people so if with the matrix right it's like you've literally been living a lie the whole time i know so many jewish people who you know when they were in college they got offered this free trip to israel right and this right, is like right. yeah. you know just a, a a jewish american person who lives in southern california has no connection to israel whatsoever other than they got this email and they said hey you can go on a free trip this summer uh all expenses you know and this is, and they go there and they say, this is your homeland. Look how beautiful it is. Like you've been here for thousands of years. Like, you know, you belong here, stuff like that. And I mean, I don't even want to get into like some of the more depraved details of it about how a lot of these trips are really just like sex trips. Like a lot of these kids go there and they take them to like, um, you know, like prostitution places and strip clubs and things like that to entice them to, you know, be like, hey, these are some of the benefits if you if you come here, right? And and this is how it goes full circle, right? Is I've seen that split in the road after people have gone on what are called birthright trips go in two different directions, right? Or three, I should say. One, you know, there's people I just went on the trip because it was a free trip. I just wanted like a summer vacation to go to the Middle East. There you go. They don't question anything, whatever. Then there's these people who just like lean into it really hard. And I remember one time I was visiting my family and we went and did a day trip in Jerusalem and I was on the train that they have there, the light, the light rail. And I'm looking at this guy, he's an Israeli soldier and he has a M16 around his, his uh, chest. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, this guy looks so familiar. I know who he is, but I can't remember his name. And then I, it just clicked. I pointed at him and I was like, I went to, I went to college with you. And then I went up and I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh yeah, just after college, like I just, I became a citizen here and now I'm in the Israeli army and stuff like that. And it's just crazy. This guy who has no connection to the land whatsoever, just some, some guy from Southern California just ended up moving there and now he lives there and, and that's his life now. And it's just crazy to me. And then there's this He's third one. Yeah. Free healthcare. Free. Oh, I mean, he did his schooling in, in, in California, but you know, ended up getting the healthcare and, and, and all this stuff. And then there's this third path, right, which is like the red pill in the matrix, right, where there are a lot of anti-Zionist Jews who are saying not in our name, right? And I, I don't want to speak for all Jewish people. I'm not Jewish. Like, I, you know, I don't want to. So I'm just saying at, I know people who are like this, um, where they're just saying, why would I want to represent a state that is doing this in my name, in my faith? Like, this is not what Judaism represents to me. And so they've taken really what is like the red pill and become like the neos of, um, you know, the, the Palestinian Israeli issue. Right. 
And so I'll, I'll get on Avatar. I know it's, it's my sister watched the whole thing and she likes it, but uh, yeah, I just, it's, I haven't gotten to it yet. It's funny yeah. that you, you mentioned this whole birthright thing uh, because uh, Seth Rogen just did a documentary on it called Is Realism. And apparently it's coming out and they're re-releasing it and stuff like that. And it's basically how all these kids are indoctrinated and like all the lies they've been fed. Uh, Seth Rogen, who himself, you know, was Jewish. He's not a religious person, but he is like ethnically Jewish. And he uh, did this and he talked about how all of this stuff that he's been told was essentially a lie. They've been told people weren't there and, you know, they just came and it was given to us. So it it seems like i haven't seen it uh but i've i've what you call it thought the trailer looks really good and they're uh if you go on their website is realism they have virtual screenings that are free that you can just screen, uh, screen the uh the movie and it's really really interesting um so that was really good the other thing i want to talk about i know some people mentioned in the comment uh star wars i highly recommend you watch the show Andor. Andor is such a phenomenal show. And there's this one line in it, which I think summarizes. It says, the Empire has been choking us so slowly that we're starting not to notice. And this is one of the things where people like, everything started October 7th. Everything started, no, it hasn't. The Empire has been choking them so slowly that we... Uh, uh, outside of you know Palestine, have not noticed. You know Israeli settlements, legal settlements happening everywhere, uh, checkpoints, all, all of these things that have been happening. They've just been happening so slowly that we haven't noticed, right? And we only notice when something that is accelerationalist happens, like an attack, which are obviously terrible. Uh, but it didn't happen in a vacuum. And we have to accept that, right? As horrible as they are, they don't just happen out of nowhere. There's always a reason, and you can track back to what actually led to it um so andor i think is a phenomenal show if you want to understand how uh someone can slowly slowly manipulate and oppress you without you even noticing i think is a fantastic story on that um another story that i think you might need tissues with um like i i see these kids being blown up i've seen them dying i've seen like little kids looking for their brothers and sisters it's really sad uh but i highly recommend this movie called grave of fireflies it's an anime also oh god very sad very fun but it's it's i know i know jazz i know it's sad but this is what's happening out there and like people need to understand people need to feel these things for them to have some empathy because a lot of them see these kids being blown up and they're looking for their brothers and sisters and all they find is a hand and they're desensitized to it. And if you need to watch an anime to make you understand that, I mean, you shouldn't need an anime to make you feel uh, understand that, but there is one and I definitely recommend it. So um, Grave of Fireflies and or Hunger Games, One Piece. Uh, hell, the Man of Steel is about settler colonialism. Freaking the Kryptonians come in there and they try to take over Earth. Like it's just it's in the media. It's all over here. Like we know that we know what's happening. We just refuse to believe it unless the hero is white. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you guys. Um, uh, that's I, we're at an hour and fourteen minutes. I do want to talk about ways that we could help. Because, uh, you know, it, it, we're talking about the problem. We don't really have uh, solutions. But I know BDS is something that uh, people are focusing on. And everyone's just so many. There's buttloads of protests and a, uh, not protests, boycotts. And a lot of them mean well. Um, 
Uh, someone says, yes, the parallel funeral scene in Andor is the funeral scene of Shireen Abu. Oh my God, that is such a good point. Uh, definitely recommend uh, Andor. Uh, but yes, BDS is something that I, you know, I highly think everyone should go look into. I know there are TikTokers and Instagram people, and they're like, you can't go. They go to grocery stores, and they're like, you can't get this, you can't get that. Listen, targeted uh, boycotts work. You know, uh, BDS does a great job of telling us which things we should divest from, which ones we should boycott, which have organic boycotts, and which has uh, pressure, right? So they break it out for you, and you should do that. Um, and so, some of the organic ones are great, like, you know, the Starbucks one, uh, for them, what they did with their union, totally support that. Some are just maybe not as feasible or sustainable as others, so they, uh, they you put pressure on them and not boycott them, right? Like, you know, Google, how are you going to boycott Google, right? So search engine is, is difficult, but you can put pressure on them. Uh, and there's other things that like, you know, you can tell companies not to divest from, not to, you know, not to put stock in them. Um, any of you guys have any other things that you might want to add when in terms of uh, BDS and boycotts and stuff like that? Yes. And there's one other thing I want to add to this always. It's unionizing and striking um bds is good for people who don't work for these companies but let me tell you as a business owner you know if i lose a handful of customers right now it wouldn't be the end of me over time it would but if i have two of my workers stop working today as a small business owner i'm in some deep shit so if you are working for any of these companies on the bds list unionize and strike that will do wonders to accelerate change right now. Yeah. Uh, someone's asking, can you explain BDS? I was literally just about to say, if, if, yeah, if I could I just that. explain explain BDS. So BDS is stands for the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement, right? And so this started in 2005. It was a call by the Palestinian Civil Society to say, this is a non-violent way of resisting Israeli occupation. And so what this is, is a call from Palestinians. And so I think that's, that is a very key point when it comes to all of this, right? Is mm -hmm. you see a lot of the talking heads on, you know, mainstream media, people from, um, you know, representatives of governments trying to impose and tell Palestinians what is okay for them to do when it comes to resisting their own, resisting their occupation by the Israelis and what is not okay. And we've seen time and time again, Certain forms of resistance are not allowed uh, by, you know, by these talking heads and other forms are dismissed. When it comes to the Palestinians, everything is off the table, it seems like. Palestinians have tried uh, nonviolence when it comes to BDS. And what we're seeing in the United States here is 37 states have made it illegal to boycott Israel at all. Exactly. And that, literally, that comment is exactly... So some states from those 37 states have made it to where you have to sign a loyalty pledge to Israel uh, and say, I will never boycott Israel or anything like that. So what I would say is I, there's a map out there of, of, of all the places, right? So I would, for those who want to know more, go to bdsmovement.net. That is the official website, bdsmovement.net. Again, just the main thing is it is a targeted boycott campaign from Palestinians who are saying, please help us by not purchasing products that either that are supporting the the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian people, right? Use your wallet to make a change, right? By saying, hey, 
I'm not going to support this uh, product or this business until they change their policies, right? And I think that's the fundamental thing that people don't understand about the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement is that it is not supposed to be a forever thing, right? This is supposed to make a targeted change, right? And so where it stems from is uh, when South African apartheid was happening, right? And two two different sets of systems for two different people, right? Um, I'll give one example. So Kodak in the United States, the camera company, as we all know, they had rubber plantations out there um, to get some of their material, to get their materials um, for their camera products, things like that. And so South Africans who were under the apartheid system said, do not buy Kodak, Kodak products until they take their rubber um, plantations out of South Africa or until the uh, apartheid system is dismantled. And so Kodak started seeing this and they, you know, left their business in South Africa. And they say that was one of the larger movements um, that helped change the tide in that. And Adoma, you know, you're more of an expert on that than, than I am. So, but I'll just wrap up by saying the BDS movement is a call. I want to re reiterate, it's a call from Palestinians, not from people who are outside of this conflict on how you can directly impact it, right? And you'll see a list online on Twitter and social media of like a million products, right? McDonald's, Starbucks, HP, blah, 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 X, Y, and Z, right? Focus on the targeted boycotts, focus on things you can do, right? And, and with our wallets, we can make a difference as well. That's one small way that you can do it other than spreading awareness through your own friends and family and social media. Yeah, and we have. I I know that uh, last time when the Sheikh Jarrah stuff was happening, uh, Ben and Jerry's was on the list, and Ben and Jerry's took a good look at themselves, and they're like, "Whoa, we have illegal settlement uh, factories in uh, in settlements. We were using freezers to store dead bodies, and they're like, what the fuck?' And they decided to pull out, and then they had to actually had to sue their own parent company in order to do this. So it does work, and it has in the past. So we need to keep putting pressure on it." Um, anyone else has anything they wanted to say about this? Yeah, I wanted to say, um, I think BDS is the one, like, you know, they feel it's the one thing that quote unquote works. It's like anything is going to work, but in terms of it's one thing that Israeli parliament is terrified of because of how powerful it is, because if they lose if they lose their corporations, they lose the money. Um, I know there's a, it's hard to target. Uh, it, it's hard to just boycott everything because it's so prevalent everywhere, like Coca-Cola and stuff like that. But there is a targeted boycott on Starbucks right now, I believe, and it is working. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, I also, I was just thinking of this, but I'm, watching Ted Lasso right now and I, I don't know if you guys have seen it but there's an episode where one of the characters realizes that the sponsor of their soccer team is doing like terrible yes. war Sam. crimes in Nigeria so they all cover their um like Logo. soccer uniforms. sponsor yeah their sponsor on their soccer uniforms and I was like yes this is this is empowering me this is inspiring me but um Aside from boycotting, divesting, sanctioning, uh, talk to your representatives. Um, ask them because mm -hmm. if, you know, money talks, but also so does political calculus. So they want the votes and, you know, no taxation without representation. And they are not 
rip my cat is now getting into <laughs> a bag of the course really the i'm talking he's like let me make all the noise possible but um they don't represent us when they give their tax dollars or when they funnel money in to send another missile into gaza and it's important that they realize the votes that are at stake like whether the white house knows this or whether your representatives know this i know the white house lines are open certain days a week there was just a, an opening of the white house calling line recently um i've been posting about it um and i'll send it to slum nerds so that they can post about it as well if they'd like but that opening that line and just looking into your representative, if they've signed the Cory Bush ceasefire resolution and just calling them and telling them to do so and emphasizing that your vote is dependent on this in the future will make a massive difference. Um, however many people call if they realize that enough people are calling saying this then they'll realize that oh we and it, it sucks that they realize oh my position in power is dependent on me signing this resolution instead of oh people are dying <laughs> dependent on right. this resolution but you have to speak their language sometimes so yeah in short call your representatives that, that's a great point. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, one last thing I know we're, we're, we're a little bit over uh, how, how much we normally talk, but this is such an important thing. I'm really glad you guys are still here with us. I'm glad the audience is here with us. We got like 10 people in the comments uh, watching. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about and, you know, in, in the spirit of educating some of our audience who may not know this, right? Some of them might be young and just here for the reality TV shows or some of them just are, are not in the world. So there is a thing about like the one state and two state solution. And, and these are the things that like, you know, people are like, well, how are they going to do this? And to me, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like Israel wants to do this. It seems almost impossible because the two-state solution would be for Gaza and the West Bank uh, to be Palestinian and the rest to be Israel. But if you look at the West Bank, the West Bank has been turned into Swiss cheese. There's so many settlements within the West Bank that there's no unified place. They're almost like islands. And, you know, the floor is lava where everything around it is just occupation. Uh, so that makes it almost impossible. And that was done by design. That was done by Netanyahu. Uh, so that makes it really difficult for them to ever want to do something like that. Yeah, Shadi has the, the map behind him. Uh, the other thing is the one-state solution. Now, I don't see them doing a one-state solution where it's a democratic uh, one country because right now, I think there's 9 million people in Israel and of that 9 million, 2 million are Palestinians. And if you add the West Bank and Gaza, that's another 4 million. You would have 6 million Palestinians, 7 million Israelis. It would no longer be a Jewish state. Um, and I don't think that's something that Israel will ever let happen. So a lot of people are always saying, well, Palestine would never do this. Palestine would never agree to this. Um, I think a lot of that is in bad faith because I don't think Israel would do this. And they're trying to make sure that this can't ever happen. Um, I don't know if any of you guys want to talk about that. I, my knowledge on that may be a little limited, uh, but I don't know if you guys uh, have anything to say about that. 
So I want to let um, Sarah and Chad talk more about this because they obviously have a more personal interest in this. But I think it's also important to mention the fact that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Israel and two state versus one state. I mean, they're always talked about, you know, we have a democratic Jewish state. And that with just pure based on numbers, when there are more Arabs and Palestinians there, it's not going to be democratically Jewish anymore no matter how they look at it, as long as everyone votes in the same way that they, you know, like, like you would expect them to. I think, I think that that is the fear that I've heard from, or, or that I see with, you know, what the Israeli government has done. So I would love to hear what um, Sarah tried to think about that. Cause again, I'm just an observer in this. Right. I'll just add uh, some really quick points on the whole two state versus one state solution. So you talk to a lot of Palestinians right now, they will tell you the two-state solution has been dead for a long time, right? The notion of a two-state is kind of just like this. Um, it's like when you ask your parents, can we get McDonald's on the way home? And they'll say, maybe, or like, you know, an Arab and Muslim households, when they ask, you, know, you ask for something, they'll say, inshallah, we'll get something, or God willing, <laughs> we'll, we'll get something, which always means no. That's what the two-state solution has been for presidential, uh, pre for presidents and elected governments for the last like 40 years or so since 1967 right where it's like we support a two-state solution we want a two-state solution right and even the zionist talking points one of them is you know we offered the palestinians five different peace offerings where they would have their own state and they rejected every single one of them right well if i offer you a bad deal and it's clearly a bad deal and i reject it every single time well, that makes me look like a bad person. But if, if you reveal the contents of the deal and it's clearly a bad deal, well, people wouldn't blame you for it, right? So if I was like, hey, I want to, uh, you know, have ownership in the Slam Nerds podcast. Um, I'm going to take over. I'm only, let's say, a 10%. I, I only put in 10% of the funding and 10% of the work for the project, but I will get 55% of the uh the channel and all the you know whatever the monetization and things like that well obviously you guys who are the majority owners of it would reject that but then i can turn around and say well you know why did you reject the deal i offered you a deal you know but secretly i'm the one who owns like um the majority of it. so that's the first thing is this idea of a two-state solution that you'll hear uh as a buzzword has been dead for a long time and as you said neebs like the expansion of settlements has not stopped since 1967, right? Because they're going to go back and forth and say, you know, let's go to the negotiating table. Let's do this back and forth, back and forth. And slowly we're seeing what the, you know, Palestinian two state would be shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it really just looks like a map of islands. When you talk about like Palestinian cities, it's just a bunch of islands that are connected through this network of like, um, roads that some Israelis can use and then uh, Palestinians can't use them. So at this point, if you ask anybody, it, well, I'll speak for myself first. I think the one state solution is the only viable option moving forward, right? Whether the Israeli society likes it or not, or the Palestinian society likes it or not, that is the only path forward if they want to live in a sustained peace together, right? And I'm trying to think of like some sort of pop culture reference where, you know, two societies had to come in and move together. I'm sure there's got to be something where, like, one planet... Oh, I'm... Well, I, I, well, I can't think of it. But basically, one society goes and lives with the other society. The only thing I could think of is Dragon Ball Z when Namek is blown up. And uh, they send the Namekians to Earth for, like, a few episodes until they uh, 
they wish back planet Namek and they're just like golfing with the Namekians. I'm sure there was a little bit of heat at the beginning, right? Because there's this new population coming in, but eventually they will learn to live together, right? And there will be friction of it. I mean, I think if, if in not in a non-pop culture sense, right, one pertinent uh, example that would describe what the one-state solution would look like would be America after the um, ending of slavery and the ending of Jim Crow, um, in that there was this, um, you know, mass migration of Black people into a lot of these northern states afterwards, and there was a lot of friction between these two communities, right? Obviously, the white community uh, was not friendly towards Black people, and but and, and there's still problems to this day, of course, but um, that's what we would most likely see, in my opinion, if there was a one-state solution that would happen. It's the only viable way moving forward. I would actually agree. Uh, Sarah? Uh, yeah, anything, I want to echo everything that uh, Shadi said. The two-state solution really has been dead since they assassinated uh Yishtak Robin, the, uh, he was the, he was the prime minister to Israel and he was kind of the last chance for, he was literally, this was after a peace deal. It was, they were literally en route to a, like a pretty good deal, like two state solution deal. And correct me if I'm wrong, Shadi, I'm probably just paraphrasing a ton of stuff. And then immediately a white supremacist, like soon after that, killed him. And that kind of led to the current paradigm that we're in right now, where it is a kind of very far right government in Israel that um, is very, it, it is has for years just been suffocating the Palestinian community. And I I do believe, though, that there was a chance for peace and we will get it again, maybe not in the form of a two-state solution, especially since there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of land left for that. But I, I do believe that we can. I think Shadi's kind of metaphor or just kind of, analogy is a really good way of just kind of envisioning it it's not ideal but it's probably what will happen as of now and yeah i you know i pray for peace and hope for the best hopefully in our lifetime but yeah just keep keep boycotting keep calling your reps yeah. Uh, Adom, how about you? Yeah, so if I can add kind of one thing to wrap all this up, I know we're way over time, but just kind of the pop culture references. Is, um, we talked about Avatar The Last Airbender. We talked a lot about The Matrix. So for me, I mean, being a student of the law and things like that. So in 1948, there's something called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that was passed, and it was passed as a, it was ratified as a direct reaction to the atrocity of the, of the Holocaust that had happened to the European Jewish populations. And there's an article in there, it's article 13, and it says verbatim, everyone has a right to the freedom of movement and residence within the borders of each state. And so when I think about an avatar to last airbender, 
there are certain points in the show where like Aang has to pretend he's a part of the Fire Nation, and they do because they can't move in certain yes. places and things like that. And then in the Matrix, I love the scene. Everyone loves the scene with the Buplo and the Red Pill. But one thing that no one really talks about is the fact that Morpheus gave Neo a choice. He said, you can take the red pill and stay here or take the blue pill and go back. There was not an option to take the red pill and go back to the Matrix. Because you can't be woke in a place where everyone else is not because you're going to mess everything up. It was either leave or not. So to me, that is very powerful. And even in Star Wars and Andor, there's, the freedom of movement was really a thing. Especially when he was in prison. And then you know when they had the funeral scene, the people couldn't move in certain places. And so when we talk about you know the framing of this problem and, and this conflict or whatever word you want to use for it, the freedom of movement to me is the base with all of this because it doesn't matter what solution you come up with. You know, Gaza is an open air prison, and you know the islands. You know, there are certain places where you can and cannot go in the West Bank if you are a Palestinian. I mean, there was a great um, TV appearance that the Tanahasi Coates did um, about a week ago, and he talked about how when he went to um, Palestine and how he was walking down a street and this Israeli guard stopped him and said, hey, you know, what, what religion are you? And he said, you know, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to pass here until I gave him a satisfactory answer. You know, that is the type of reality that we're dealing with here. And until we get past that, you're not going to have any peace. Or you're not going to have any resolution with this. And in pop culture, I encourage folks to when they're watching shows, you know, in um, I think the Hunger Games, this is very, very evident where, you know, it's even impossible for the people to move between the districts. You know, they can't. Once you're in District 9 or whatever it is, you're stuck there. You're not moving. That's Article 13 being violated, right? And so, you know, when you're watching pop culture and things like that, think about how just in general, the freedom of movement is denied to a certain character and they're struggling to get the freedom of movement. And it's very interesting to me how audiences will be able to identify with the character who's struggling for freedom of movement. But then in reality, when you're talking about Palestinians' freedom of movement, it's just thrown out the door. So just to wrap mm -hmm. all that up, I just encourage folks to think about that angle of it because it's it's prevalent and it's real and it touches everything from you know the history of Jim Crow to what's happening now. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. And God, this was some good stuff. Yeah, um, in humans, when they got their home destroyed, they had to live on Earth with humans. Yeah, that's another one in in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Very true. And and yes, another reference to Quake. This guy always makes a reference to Quake in all our episodes. <laughs> uh, yes, look, thank you guys for for joining us um, again, man. I I really pray for the children of of Gaza. I think there's I think half of them are children there, right? And if you're talking about getting rid of terrorism, um, listen, for every kid that's orphaned, you're making a new terrorist. So like, I don't think they this is an effective way to do any of that stuff. I think they need to figure out a way to make peace. Um, but then again, I'm just a dumb kid from Jersey. What do I know? I'm so glad I got to have so many people on this show today that are way smarter than me. You guys had so much good insight. Um, I love talking to you guys. One of the longest episodes we've ever done, but probably the most important episode we've ever done. So again, I'd like to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for being here. Um, everybody who is listening to this uh, on Spotify, um, I don't know if you guys want people to find you. Are you guys on social media? Do you guys want us to give out your information? Sometimes people do. Sometimes people don't. Yeah, my, my handle's in my um, my tagline name on um, Twitter. I'm not going to call it the other name on, on Twitter and IG. Awesome. Uh, Shadi, if you feel like you want to uh, promote anything, whether it's yourself or anything else, feel free to do that at this moment. Uh, nope, nothing to promote. Just bdsmovement.net. Check it out. Um, always keep talking about Palestine, no matter what. Ask questions. 
there's no dumb questions at all when it comes to this issue and call people out on it and just, just keep, keep reading, keep learning about stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. BDSmovement.net. All right. Thank you. And Sarah, anything you want to promote or say? Not nothing, nothing to promote on my end either. Yeah. Just everything you guys said. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. And until next time, guys, salam nerds.